Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. in glory. Notice my greeting to you. A little bit different than Christ is risen or even glory to Jesus Christ. It's Christ is ascended and you respond in glory. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Welcome. We are in the midst of the great feast of the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're in the what we call the post-festive. And also on this particular Sunday, we're celebrating the fathers of the first ecumenical council. That's the first council in Nicaea, one of the most pivotal councils of all the councils in the church. You see, in the church, the way that we arrived at the actual teachings of the church, especially on the, the real fundamental dogmas, mostly around the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Trinity, really every heresy and conversely, every correct teaching has its roots there. Who really is God as three persons, yet one God, and especially who is the second person of the Trinity who took on human nature? had two natures, yet one person. How do you understand these things? It's very, very difficult, yet they are true. They're a mystery that you live. We understand something about it, but we don't understand a lot. So you live it. And because it's hard to understand, it is also very easy to misinterpret and to develop into full-blown what we call heresies. We'll get to the fathers of the First Nicene Council in a few minutes. But first of all, let's look at the ascension of our Lord. And while we're coming out of, or maybe still shut down or locked down as churches are gradually opening up, or whatever's happening across the board in that regard, it varies from region to region, regardless of what is happening, what we need to do is to focus on, and there here is the buzzword for this whole pandemic thing, on what is essential. And what is essential? It's not a matter of, well, is going here essential? Is that essential? It's about what really is essential. In other words, in terms of this life and the next life, the most fundamental questions. And what is truly essential, of course, is God and our relationship with God and how we experience God. And that experience has its fullness in the church. So that is what is essential. And second to that is marriage our marriages and our families, that all goes together. That is what is essential. 
That is what is essential. And as we enter into these great holy days, such as we've had for Pascha, the resurrection of the Lord, and we're looking towards the great one next week of Pentecost, we have in between that this Feast of the Ascension. Looking at these things brings us into what is essential, because when we experience these things, well, that's exactly it. It's an experience. It's not just a study. It's not just an obligation. It is not just, well, something we observe that happened in the past and we commemorate. It's an entrance into that reality. And the reality of the ascension of our Lord is absolutely relevant to us. And it's helpful for us now during this whole pandemic because we are forced to ponder what is really essential, what is truth, who we are, what it's really all about. And what it's all about is God and the fact that he made us in his image and likeness, that we had an original intention, an original intention that was beautiful and glorious, and we have a destiny, an ultimate destiny, all of which is wonderful and glorious, and that is a truth about the human person. And that's why through it all, we have to be people of hope. Now, in between, something happened that was sin, and of course, we're experiencing the effects of sin with this coronavirus. It's from original sin, also personal sin and corporate sin. That's the in-between part. But the real part is what happened at the beginning of our creation and then what will happen in the next life. And we see what that is about in the events of Christ, such as this one, the ascension of our Lord. As always, we go to the liturgical text in our church because they're so rich and beautiful. They're dogmatic hymns that tell us the truth of things. In the Vesper service, that's the evening prayer for the ascension, we pray things like this. The Lord ascended into heaven to send the comforter into this world. The heavens prepared his throne and clouds were his ladder. The angels marvel at the sight of a human being more exalted than themselves. Now, did you catch that? Yes. You wouldn't think that human nature could be more exalted than angels. Well, it is because of Jesus Christ. He took our human nature with him to heaven and exalted it and put it on the throne with him. He didn't shed his human nature when he rose up, when he ascended. He was in front of his apostles and he rose up body and soul. He didn't say, well, I'm leaving this body behind. I don't need this anymore. I'm going back to be that spiritual being. No, he never stopped being the spiritual being, pure spirit as God is. But he also took on that human nature and kept it forever. So the prayer continues. Today, the father receives again in his bosom the one who was in him from all eternity. So you see, he still and always was God. And the Holy Spirit gives a command to all the peoples. Lift up your lintels, O you gates. O you nations of the earth, clap your hands. For Christ ascends to the place where he had been from all eternity. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that marvelous and magnificent? Imagine the apostles seeing Christ ascend right in front of them on, on the Mount of Olivet. They were seeing, especially Peter, James, and John, they were seeing a very similar scene as they saw especially Peter, James, and John, on Mount Tabor. And when they all saw in the upper room, when Thomas was there together with them finally, they saw in the upper room once again that vision. What was that vision? The glory of God, of Jesus Christ, in his human nature as well, but also the glory of us. We say that Christ ascended because he was glorifying our nature. He's already glorified, but he was glorifying our nature. So we're seeing the full beauty and potential of the human person. Look back in Genesis. 
how will we remain? We remain in the image and likeness of God. We reflect God. We participate in God. Isn't that incredible? So isn't it interesting, and I think it is divine providence, that precisely during the darkness of this pandemic, and there's probably still a lot of darkness and suffering still ahead of us in many ways. I don't mean just the disease, hopefully not the disease, but there's an awful lot of fallout. We're already feeling it now with the economy, people losing jobs and so on. There's stresses at home. There's also good things at home too. But there's a lot more to come, perhaps. I mean, I don't want to see any more suffering, but perhaps there is. That amidst all of that, the the timing is incredible because amidst all that, we are proclaiming and entering into and have on our lips, such as Christ is risen or Christ is glorified, Christ is ascended. We have on our lips, in our midst, what we've immersed ourselves in are these beautiful proclamations. It's almost as if God is going to say, you know what? I'm going to time this virus out. I'm not saying God sent this virus. Maybe he did. He can do whatever he wants. Remember, it doesn't need our approval or permission. He did it in the Old Testament. He used plagues and enemies to punish Israel, to bring them back to him. It was done out of love. I don't know whether he sent this virus or not, but he certainly has allowed it to be and is teaching us through it. But I do believe that there was a providential timing in this. It's just too evident, too perfect, that we come to the point when we're proclaiming his death, his crucifixion and suffering, that darkness, that was the high point of this virus, of the suffering. And then we're proclaiming Christ is risen. We're coming into this brilliant light, this double brightness, as we say in the liturgical text, of his ascension, his resurrection, and his Pentecost, the sending of the Holy Spirit. We're proclaiming these beautiful, righteous, victorious, hope-filled things right in the midst of this darkness. And that's why these texts and the liturgy, immersing ourselves in this, is actually even beyond or in addition to being a holy thing to do, the right thing to do, it is therapeutic for us. We certainly need hope. We certainly need things that are positive and glorious and beautiful. Let's look at another text here. Ascending in glory from the Mount of Olives, through your great love, you lifted up our fallen nature and enthroned it with the Father on high. Therefore, the bodiless powers were amazed and filled with awe at seeing your great love for all. Together with them, we who live on earth glorify your condescension to us and your ascension away from us. Now we implore you, saying, through your ascension, you have filled your apostles and your mother with a joy that surpasses every other joy. And through their intercession, make us worthy of the joy of your elect, for you are rich in mercy. Isn't that incredibly inspiring? There's another reason why these texts are so important for us, especially now, why we have to make them real to us and proclaim them by going to church, hopefully where we are allowed or we're opening up, and certainly we should be. No one has a right to take the church away from us. No civil authority has the right to tell us exactly how to worship, how many to worship, and so on. So let's hope there's some pushback, and there is, against that. The state can certainly advise us and encourage us to be part of a very good program for caution and curbing this virus, preserving against infection, and so on. Yes, but the state cannot 
go further than that when it comes to the church. So immersing ourselves in these things is actually good for our health. And I'll explain that when I return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Glory to Jesus Christ. Father Loya would like you to know that Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church is open for personal prayer during the coronavirus outbreak. Father Loya is available for confession and personal counseling during the week. The Divine Liturgy is live-streamed Sunday mornings at 10 Central Time and on Thursday nights at 7 Central on the Annunciation Parish Facebook page. Please keep in mind that parish expenses continue in your absence and that your donation can be accepted on the donation page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Thank you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Suddenly, we find ourselves in a new reality where first responders, doctors, custodial workers, nurses, police and fire personnel, stockers, dock workers, clergy, religious, and others are in the front lines to combat COVID-19. These people care for your welfare. When you meet one of these selfless people, thank them. Let kindness prevail as we at Light of the East ask you to pray for them. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host, as we are ascending with our Lord. Our spirit should be ascending, our head should be ascending, our thoughts should be ascending with him. We ascend with God because we are in this post-festive, the days of the ascension of our Lord. And we're also this Sunday, as I mentioned earlier, we'll get to that a little bit later. We are on the Sunday that celebrates, commemorates those courageous, brilliant, holy fathers of the first ecumenical council of Nicaea. That's in 325 AD. Observing these holy days, especially the bright and brilliant ones that have to do with the origin and meaning of our human nature, not just Jesus Christ himself, but our nature, the resurrection, the ascension, the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, these are all geared at our human nature so that we can partake, participate in God's nature. Yeah, that's right. In the first epistle of St. Peter, it says that in the Bible, we partake of the nature of God. We're not equal to God. We're not part of his essence, but we do partake of his very nature by his love for us, by his permission, by his design, not by our own choosing. And these kinds of joyful things are therapeutic for us because if I can speak even scientifically, when we have fear and anxiety, we have dread and, and gloom and doom as we have so much of during this pandemic. When we have a lot of that, it actually creates anxiety, which then creates certain chemicals in our body, that's right, which in turn create inflammation and toxins in our body, and that in turn lowers our immune system. If we lower our immune system, we're more susceptible to sickness and we're less able to fight it off. So you see how that goes? It's like a 
sequence of events. The dark messages create in us a psycho-spiritual darkness, which then creates anxiety and fear, which then manifests itself in a chemical reaction or body, which then manifests itself into inflammation and toxins, a lack of a willingness to, to get better, to think there is hope. So what is psycho-spiritual actually has an effect on us physically. And you're not going to hear anything that hopeful from the world. Let's face it. What are you hearing from the news, from all the experts and so on? Even if there is something positive, it's very, very dim. The voice of that is very low, and it's always counteracted and overshadowed by more statistics of how people died, how many more people are sick, and how we can't open up, and we have to be cautious, and this thing may come back on us and kill even more people, and on and on and on. So little shafts of light coming from the world, but not so in the church. In the church, we have the ultimate in good news. And it's not just a fantasy. It has to be real to us. Let's look at some more text here. This is for the ascension. Having so loved human nature, you granted it that it may be enthroned with you in your compassion. You united it with yourself. In union with it, you have suffered. And by your passion, you glorified it, O God, beyond all suffering. Now the bodiless powers are saying, Who is this man clothed in majesty? He is not only a man, but he is indeed the God-man, for he possesses the appearance of both. And the angels arrayed in splendid garments and circled the apostles, saying, As Jesus the God-man is separated from you in his divine humanity, he shall come again to judge both the living and the dead. And he grants to all the faithful forgiveness of sins and great mercy." So you even have the angels impressed by this. It is a marvelous event that the apostles witness and witness by virtue of the liturgical calendar of the church, the holy days of the church. Now, this occurs 40 days after Christ's resurrection. 40 is a very important date. It's repeated in the Bible throughout. Remember, that's when we fast for 40 days. That's how long Lent is. Let's look now at this particular Sunday. It's the Sunday of the Fathers of the First Nicene Council, which is in 325 AD. And these fathers... They got together, as they would do from time to time over the centuries, and formed these councils. And these councils would proclaim, they would clarify the true teaching when it was being attacked, or there was a misinterpretation, a misrepresentation that was catching on. And so they would become very concerned, from the pope to the, to the bishops, to theologians and priests and deacons and so on. And usually, these heresies were started by people who should know better, the theologians, the priests, the bishops themselves, or monks themselves. Seldom was it a layperson. So they would get together and they would proclaim then what was and is the real truth. That's one of the reasons we know that what we have, those of us who are part of the church, especially the Catholic and Orthodox churches, that we have the truth because no one person proclaimed it. No one person made it up and say, I personally know better than everybody. This is the way it goes. It was done by councils, by a collection of many from various churches throughout the world. And when they reached the consensus of the true teaching inspired by the Holy Spirit, we know that that is the truth. During the liturgy, the Byzantine liturgy, if you ever attended it, we sing, we chant, as we do everything else, the, the creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty. And what that is, that's the, what we call the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed. 
It's a creed that was proclaimed at the Council of Nicaea, and it was linked a little bit, added to a little bit at the Council of Constantinople, which ratified the original creed, but also added to it. Because once again, that council, that second council, was fighting some heresies. So whenever we chant that creed in the Byzantine liturgy, the priest facing the altar, in other words, ad orientum, facing east, everybody faces east, facing the Christ the bridegroom, awaiting his coming on the mystical bed of the altar in the Eucharist. Before we receive that Eucharist, we proclaim our faith. So we proclaim the creed, I believe in one God, and so on. And while we're doing that, the priest takes the veil that covers the chalice and the discos, which hold the gifts of bread and wine, which will become the body and blood of Christ in the liturgy. He takes that veil and he waves it over the gifts. You might have seen that and wonder what he's doing. Well, as always, there's a practical and a symbolic reason for a lot of the things that go on in the liturgy. In fact, in the actual rubrics, it says that the priest or deacon will raise this veil and will wave it so that no flies or the like come upon the gifts. It was actually a fly chaser. But then they added also a symbolism to it. The waving of that veil symbolizes the movement of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that came upon these council fathers so that they could know what the true teaching was. You know, sometimes these heresies are very convincing. That's why they would catch on. In fact, at one time, there were a third, a third of the bishops in the Eastern churches were heretics. They were Arians. They bought into this. And so when these things are proclaimed, it is only by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit working through, yes, bring it in holy leaders. So the priest waves this. Now, when there's a bishop, the bishop will bow his head, standing at the altar, he'll bow his head over the gifts, and two priests will take each end of that veil, and they'll hold it over the bishop's head, waving it, because that's really what it symbolizes. It symbolizes the bishops who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we wave it over the head of the bishop. When a bishop is not there, the priest just holds it up kind of vertically from each corner with his two hands, and he waves it over the gifts of bread and wine. Now, it's important that we proclaim this at that point in the liturgy because we're about to receive the body and blood of Christ, and we have to believe in order to receive. We're not entitled to this. You come forward and you partake of this body and blood of Christ because you believe in it. And if you don't believe in it, you can't accept it. You cannot receive it. In the Orthodox churches, they generally will not give Holy Communion to anyone who's not part of the Orthodox Church because they stress very much this idea of being in communion with that church. In other words, believing what that church believes. Not only is the body of Christ in the bread and wine, the real presence, but the body of Christ is contained and present in the church. So to believe to be a part of that church is to be part of the Eucharist. And the Orthodox churches are generally pretty strict about that. That's why if you go to a liturgy of an Orthodox church, if you are not Orthodox, they generally will not give you Holy Communion. And sometimes they'll even ask you, are you Orthodox? I don't recognize you. Now, it's a little bit different in the Catholic faith. Then we, I mean, we have the same belief, but we, we will give Holy Communion to an Orthodox person because the Catholic Church stresses the fact that in the, both the Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Churches and Eastern Catholic Churches, the Eucharist is indeed the real presence in all those churches. And so in the Eastern and Western Catholic Churches, we can give Holy Communion to an Orthodox person if they have their permission of their bishop. In other words, they may not be allowed to receive it from us. So sometimes it's kind of like offsetting penalties. In the text for this 
Council of Nicaea, this wonderful celebration of the Council Fathers, we inspire ourselves through the liturgical text to pray in a way that we can actually incorporate these beliefs. And we say this, we say, Praising the Council of the Holy Fathers, O Christ, I pray to you that I may be able to preserve their sacred teachings in my heart. So we have to believe what the church says in our heart. Our heart just doesn't mean a, a seat of emotions. It means the deepest part of us, where our convictions are. The heart is a very, very rich word when it comes to the liturgy and the scripture. It's different than how we use the heart in secular society. It, it goes way beyond emotion. And if these council fathers would not have gotten together, we would not be Christians today. We'd be Muslims or whatever, because they're the ones that preserve the true teaching from what seem to be very attractive heresies. And this is how we contain and maintain, preserve the true teaching through the centuries by these various councils. Yes, popes are often a part of it. Popes often convene these councils, even if they happen in the East. And the Holy Father, the Pope, speaks from the dogma of these councils. He doesn't just speak on his own, say whatever he wants to say. Now, the subject of papal fallibility aside, that's a different subject. But when the Pope does speak, he doesn't speak independent of these councils. He speaks in consistency, in congruency with these councils. We have a wonderful, wonderful, marvelous, hope-filled time of the liturgical calendar. Let that be what guides you and not all the news and the experts, quote-unquote. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. This is Dr. Greg Popchak. And Lisa Popchak. This is Chris Stefanik, host of Real Life Catholic. This is Archbishop Samuel Aquila from the Archdiocese of Denver. And thank you for listening to EWTN Radio. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!